0: Welcome to the Frog Logic Podcast. I'm your host, Instructor Rutt, here with another, uh, I'm not going to say another light show whatsoever. However, uh, I think it's timely because with everything that's going on in the world, most especially COVID, uh, as well as civil unrest, political insanity, all the things that are really uh, troubling us. I think COVID and getting our kids back to school is the number one thing that we really need to focus on right now. This is the thing that could have uh, catastrophic uh, um, consequences if we don't figure out how to get our kids back into education, back into school, uh, back into socialization. Uh, All the statistics are showing we're having some substantial issues. Uh, One of the striking things that really... Uh, 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 hit me recently uh, was the, some of the numbers coming out of L.A. County during the last part of the quarantine lockdown at the end of school year last year where they lost something like, you know, 20 to 25 percent of their student body just fell off the map for the for their school districts. They just lost track of these kids. And now that's a that that that's if you don't understand, man, with the size of that, that that many kids going to school, and all of a sudden, 20, 25 percent of them are—we have no idea what's going on with them, what's happening at home, what type of health care they're getting, or or what you know, what kind of stressors they're feeling in home, what kind of home environments, whether there's domestic abuse, drug abuse, whether there's no access to the internet or no access to education, uh, no access to meals or food. Uh, or just the simple fact that these kids no longer have anything tying them down and keeping them focused and moving ahead, man, and, and that's not a good thing. And so as I started to ponder all the significant effects of, of of all of these things and and what potentially could happen to a generation of children right now with what we're facing, it just it, it started getting me going. And so it really started... Intensifying my want to do a few shows about kids, uh, what kids are facing, the challenges kids facing, and lo and behold, as soon as I was had that heavy on my heart, uh, one of the gentlemen that works with uh, Team Frog Lodge, a good friend of mine, AJ, uh, introduced me to his brother-in-law, and his brother-in-law is facing some really substantial challenges. I mean, like catastrophic challenges with uh, his adopted grandnephew. And and one of the things that once AJ started telling me about this, it, it really made me start wondering, you know, uh, is the government prepared to handle children that really are struggling? Do we have the typical things in place to be able to handle whether or not these uh, homes as 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 divorces increase as mental health issues increase as suicides increase as all these challenges are facing families across the country kids across the country is our government prepared to handle? what's going to come as a result of, of children really suffering, man. And with four daughters, I can tell you this, man, nothing is more important to me than this life that their mental health, their education, their athleticism, their uh, advancement as as human beings, nothing is more important to me in this world. And so when AJ brought me this, you know, just horrific story of what, uh, the DFAC from Georgia was doing to his brother-in-law, I was in shock, man. I was in shock. Now, what's happening, and you'll get into it once we bring Greg on, Greg Bogus is the gentleman who's coming on today to talk about this specific experience, and 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 his grandnephew has essentially a really difficult childhood. His mother was a, a drug addict, a le- pretty much abandoned, wasn't able to take care of the child. She comes from a horrific upbringing. The father's nowhere in sight. He has multiple kids. Uh, The mom has massive uh, drug issues. The child suffers with a very substantial issue called um, reactive attachment disorder. Now, let me read you What I've got here from the Mayo Clinic and reactive attachment disorder is a rare but serious condition in which an infant or young child doesn't establish healthy attachments with parents or caregivers. Reactive attachment disorder may develop if a child's basic needs for comfort, affection and nurturing aren't met and loving, caring, stable attachments with others are not established. Luckily, with treatment, children with reactive attachment disorder may develop more stable and healthy relationships with caregivers and others. Treatments for reactive attachment disorder include psychological counseling, parent or caregiving counseling and education, learning positive child and caregiving interactions, and creating a stable nurturing environment. Now, some of the signs and symptoms may include unexplained withdrawal, fear, sadness, irritability, sad or listlessness. Listless, appearance, not seeking comfort or showing no response when comfort is giving, failure to smile, watching others closely but not engaging in social interaction, failing to ask for support or assistance, failure to reach out when picked up, no interest in playing peekaboo or other interactive games. Man. Now, RAD, as they call it, is a devastating thing, and I'm willing to bet that there are many, many, many children out there that are suffering from it. especially now as, as parents are going through, they're losing their jobs, they they can't pay their bills, they can't pay their rent, they're dealing with their own mental health challenges, man, this is a challenge. Now, as I got into it with Greg, one of, or was on my initial chat with him, one of the great things that i came to my attention was just the sheer difficulties that our foster care system is facing right and that's essentially where this child that we're going to talk about today has gone into is the foster care system because he and his family simply could not take care so they they had to give up some of their guardianship to help to get state from the help because they couldn't get the, the expenses through their insurance And just the hurdles that they had to jump through. And so as a result, I went in and just did a little uh, uh, topical research about the the healthcare system or the foster care system. And one of the things that really kind of stood out to me was children with disabilities in foster care. Now, this comes from a a website called disabledworld.com. And it, it was written by this guy, Thomas C. Weiss, and it was, uh, uh, and this is some of the things, synopsis and key points. Data suggests children born with forms of disabilities are more often abused and relinquished to the child welfare system than others. Main Digest says, at any given time in America, there are around 500,000 plus children in the foster care system, even though nearly 800,000 are served by the system every year. Approximately 13% of all children between ages 6 and 14 experience forms of disability. Reports estimate that children with disabilities are between 1.5 and 3.5 times more likely to have experienced neglect or abuse than children without disabilities. While determining the cause of a disability for an abused child is many times difficult, research has assessed that Disabilities are often caused and or exacerbated by abuse. Data also suggests that children born with forms of disabilities are more often abused and more often relinquished to the child welfare system, either by force or choice. Abuse and trauma also happen within the system itself. One study, in one study, one third of children in foster care reported some type of maltreatment while in their foster care system. The challenge in determining the cause of disability or foster children is just one of the barriers to figuring out how to best support them. Now, here's the last little part. Despite the particular cause, some troubling patterns regarding disability emerge among children in foster care. Another study regarding foster care children found out that more than 50% of those studied experienced mental health issues compared with 22% of children in the general population. Of that children affected 25% 25% experience post-traumatic stress disorder versus 4% of children in the general population. The study found that 20% of foster care children experience major depression compared to 10% of children in general population. Other issues found to be prevalent among foster care foster children include panic syndrome, social phobia, and generalized anxiety disorder. So basically, what this is saying is that if you have some type of disability and you're forced in the foster care system, man, the odds are stacked against you. So, as we move into a position where more and more kids are having to stay home in environments that aren't particularly suitable, or certain these environments where parents simply cannot care for their children and they give them up to the state, to the system itself, and put them in foster care, they are going to be exposed to some massive challenges. Massive. How many tens of thousands of children are at risk right now because schools are are incapable of figuring out a system to get them back into, into school? And when you look at the 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 mortality rates for children with COVID, it's astronomically low. And in many studies, it's showing that. COVID, essentially, you have a greater, children have a greater uh, capacity of dying from the regular flu than COVID. Now, I'm not saying I'm not uh, uh, worried or, or concerned about grandma and grandpa who have the highest risk, especially those with pre existing health care concerns, or any teachers out there for that matter, that if you have a health care concern, and I, I I understand your worry, absolutely. But the question then becomes, What what's more at stake? Is is it uh, the small group of teachers or large group, however you want to say it, or is it the massive group of children that are being regimented to these dysfunctional households, to this foster care system that does not have great uh, track records of, of producing? And we ought to look at some of the statistics of when kids are released from foster care, what happens in terms of, of, of going out on the streets, right? And what happens to them, right? And what happens after which? Now, here's a, here's some surprising things uh, that'll that'll wake you up, right? It is not surprising, and this comes from ifoster.org, and it is not surprising that within four years of aging out, 70% of all those children who, who age out of foster care system will be on government assistance. 50% will be unemployed. 50% will experience homelessness. Let me repeat that one more time for you. 50% will experience homelessness. As we have a massive homeless crisis in this country, particular out in California, out in Washington and Oregon, now in New York City, it's, it's out of control, right? 25% will not have completed high school. Less than 12% will ever earn their college desires each resulting in $1 million of an economic burden to society for each young person we fail. Now, as we get ready to bring Greg on, I want you to think about that as you're listening to his story and you're listening to the madness of facto, the madness of how our foster care system, how our, our, our state-sponsored uh, health care system for kids works, how we treat these kids. What's going to happen and as you listen to his story, I want you to imagine all the other the, the thousands of other stories of kids that are preparing to enter into the foster care systems potentially from this pandemic that are uh, that are potentially facing other abuses or other challenges because they're simply not in the appropriate environment that's going to get them the help they need. Now, this is just going to be the first of a few shows that I'm going to do on the potentiality of of what all this means. And I'm just happy I could bring this particular story, Caden's story, to all of you. That you could hear this and you could hear the struggle of Greg and his family and what's going on. Because this is real life, folks. These are the things that are, are challenging us all right now. These are the things that are challenging our children. And if we can't put aside our differences and we can't put aside our political aspirations, we couldn't put aside our fears in order to make sure that we provide the best opportunity possible for kids. I mean, think about it. How many kids are going to be trafficked that are home from school now? How many kids are going to start abusing drugs? How many kids are going to commit suicide? This is a very real struggle that we're facing. And I just hope it's all going to reach you down in your heart and it's going to lift your head up and it's going to kind of bring some awareness to what we are facing as a nation with our children. Before we get on, I just want to give a big shout out to my sponsor. I'm sad to say that on it had to... uh, uh, um, Stop sponsoring the podcast. Man, I, I just can't thank you enough for all that you did for me over the last year on it. God bless you. And I, I really hope everything turns around for you guys. I know every business out there is crushing, is getting crushed. Uh, and I just want to wish you all the best. God bless you guys. And, but, you know, I still have Old Faithful in there, and that's ready wise. Now, if you're uh, prepared, Uh, uh, and you've got all your preparatory food and materials for uh, any of the upcoming potential uh, unrest that we might see, which is we're already seeing a ton of it in streets and in cities around the country, Uh, you might want to go check out ReadyWise.com. And this is, uh, in my opinion, the best tasting, longest lasting, best quality uh, preparatory freeze-dried food you can eat, that you can buy on the market Uh, I have uh, a ton of it myself for my family. Uh, When I think about taking care of uh, all six of us, I mostly think about making sure my children at 2,000 calories a day, if food sources stop, if we've got to bug out and go to our bug out place, uh, that we're prepared with enough food to last us the right amount of time. Now, if you can't provide for your family the next time supermarkets shut down, then what are you going to do? Because we are in some uncertain times, and I hate to fearmonger, I hate to impose any type of worry in you, but simply, you don't have to listen to me, the worry is out there in and of itself. So head on over to ReadyWise.com, check out all their different plans, I recommend minimum three to six months worth of food for every member of your family. And you can check out their incredible uh, deals they have. And if, if you, when you go to check out, put in your promo code FROGLOGIC and you'll get 25% off everything they have there. 25% off anything on the store. All right. Also, I just want to say, hey... You know, thank you for all your support lately. If you have a company and you want to advertise on the Frog Logic podcast, simply uh, send us an email at teamfroglogic.com. Uh, let us know what your product's all about, and we'll take a look. If we believe in it and it's a good product, man, we'll be happy to uh, uh, bring you on board as a sponsor for uh, the company. Also, just want to let you know we have something really big coming. Uh, some big big news about uh, some upcoming offerings uh, coming out of Team Frog Logic. This is going to be uh, incredible opportunity for everybody out there to be able to experience Frog Logic uh, in the comfort of your own homes. So pay attention, we got some big announcements coming here soon. All right. Uh, without further ado, uh, I'm very honored and, and happy uh, to uh, welcome uh, Greg Bogus to the show. Greg, how are you today, buddy? I'm doing all right. How are you doing? Well, uh, I'm above dirt, and I wasn't on the phone with DFAC for a few hours today, so I think I'm, I'm probably doing a lot better than you are.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to maintain a positive attitude about it.
0: <laughs> well, I, I'm, I'm your guy then, for sure, man. Uh, I mean, uh, that's, that's what I try and always do, man, is find the silver lining to, to everything, man, and, and just... Uh, you know, I, I, our listeners are already, uh, you know, informed of of who you are and why you're on and what this show is all about. Um, but at the same time, you know, maintaining a positive mental attitude in this particular circumstances is, is nothing short of a miracle. And I just I, I just want to thank you so much for being willing to come on and, and talk about Gaten with us. Thank
1: you. And I really appreciate you having me.
0: You're welcome. You're welcome. All right. Well, first, why don't you just tell us a little bit about yourself, if you could? Where are you from? Where you grew up, and uh, how you got to where Caden came into your life would be wonderful.
1: Sure. Yeah, I'm a Texas boy living in Georgia right now. Uh, I grew up most of my life in Dallas.
0: Isn't isn't that? Isn't that like? Isn't that like the worst thing you can do in Southern crossing states? Is go from Texas to Georgia? Right. That's like the. I think
1: so. Yeah. (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh, that's awesome.
1: I'm not gonna tell the, the my Texas boys, but I actually like Atlanta a little bit better.
0: Oh, oh, oh Dallas is crazy now, man. I know. It's blowing up, man.
1: It is. Well everything's blowing up in these in these big cities here.
0: Yeah, for sure. I'm sorry to interrupt. Yep. Uh yeah, so uh grew
1: up in Dallas. Um, you know, I'm the product of a broken family. Um my father and mother and father uh divorced when I was young, eight, nine. Uh, my father passed away of lung cancer when he was when I was thirteen uh and uh you know that caused a lot of upheaval in my life um, I have two older brothers, none of us knew how to deal with it and uh consequently, you know I grew up with a lot of abuse in my household uh so um you know it 's really something was that, near and dear.
0: was that from your father or was that from my brothers
1: your brothers yeah. yeah i mean you know at the time you know they were 16, 17, 18, dealing with the loss of their father, uh, that's hard to deal with when you got all that testosterone in your body, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, my mom had to work three jobs, you know, she did the best she could, but she was never there. So you leave, you know, boys struggling, needing a father figure, needing any parental figure at their home, uh, and, you know, not getting it, you know, it just leads to a recipe for, for disaster
0: was when when your parents got divorced what what was the reason for it if you don't mind if, if if I may ask I think I was a
1: little too young to to know I mean I just think that there was irreconcilable differences just re, you know um, them not getting along I think yeah. mostly yeah yeah
0: saying that's what happened with, with with my ex and I we just we just hit that point where we just knew we weren't right for each other and you know obviously the, the 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 most difficult decision on on all of it is is your children and what's going to happen to them you know was your dad did he did did he play a role in your life before he passed away or did he try to at least after the divorce uh you know he, he was
1: i think he did but i think there was some back and forth with my parents you know how parents you know um put kids in the middle and uh you know it it then it gets a strange uh you know i was really young i don't want to judge uh my dad but no, to, i'll say this i didn't really have a father figure growing up i remember you know going to play baseball and looking at the coaches and really latching on to the coaches in my and uh that that they really raised me you know i i, wow. I really sought them to be a, a father figures and uh, bless those those guys out there that. that Do you remember their names? Do you remember any of their
0: names? Can we say I their did. names if you don't mind? Yeah. Uh,
1: uh, Ernie Eubanks is one, right? Uh, and uh, John Brown is in another. Uh, both those guys uh, really played a big part in my life. Um, I had another guy, Ray Corley, who uh, was just a, a neighborhood dad and um, Glenn Divens. I think those are the, the four guys that, that, that really jump off the page for me. You know, it does take a village to raise, raise, a, raise a child. And, uh, you know, not one of them could, could be my father, but, you know, I got pieces of them that made a father.
0: Isn't it interesting when you think about it, when, you know, we, we, we invest, for obvious reasons, we invest so much in the immediacy or the, the proximity of actual parents. Right. And, and, and even, even if they're, even if they have some struggles themselves for how they were raised or how they grew up. Right. You know, if there, at least as there's someone present and, and, and at least paying attention, regardless, you know, whatever struggles, if, if you feel some sensation of, of caring, of empathy, of, of focus, Mm -hmm. Man, that translates and imprints in such a profound way. And I think the real beauty, in particular, your story as well, too, is that you know, you know, human beings can imprint across biological lines, right? You can leave a little piece of yourself with another human being by showing them empathy, by by trying to help or and and whatever that size or spectrum is, and obviously you know, you're in, I'm assuming you're late 30s and and early 30s, late 30s, I don't know, something like that.
1: Mid-40s. Mid-40s. Mid
0: right, yeah, right on there. you with me. All right, Thank you. you look appreciate great. that. You look great, man. Um, you know, those men come back immediately. And, right. and I think Absolutely. that's a real powerful thing that I think our listeners should pay attention to as they listen to this story. So mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Go yeah. ahead. No, um, you know, I must,
1: you know, I, I'm sh- – talking about doom and gloom, but I, I really think my story is, is one of, um, that should be celebrated. You know, I put myself, I was the first person in my family to put myself through college. You know, um, I didn't have children till later in life cause I, I really had to, to go through that, uh, transition of, you know, coming from that broken place and really trying to find myself. I didn't get married till my mid thirties. I didn't have a kid till I was late, 38, you know, Me too. um, and, uh, you know, it made a huge difference cause I didn't want to put that onto my family. I didn't want to imprint that, that, uh, that hurt and, and that broken place onto my children.
0: Isn't it strange, you know, that some people are, are hyper cognizant of, of that fact, right. Repeating the cycle, right. And, And that's a big concept within psychology is to, you know, trying to end the cycle of dysfunction. But, but, you know, I think there's a lot of people out there who are, are very conscious of it. And, and they do what you do and they they really want to make sure they're at that space and they're prepared for the intensity of raising children because and I'm here to tell you man I with, with four daughters uh you know raising children e- even if they're healthy children and 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 they're stable children is incredibly difficult, incredibly stressful, and and actually makes you look deep within, I think what you know, what the foundation of, of who you are morally and, and your value system, right? Because that's being translated onto your children. Did you mm-hmm. feel like once you had that, that space, what, what was the defining thing in your life where you're like, okay, now I'm ready?
1: Um, I, you know, I think the first thing you need to do is not do harm to, you know, other people, right? And the way you do that is really uh, build yourself up uh it's it's not selfish to um for to have self care and to really look inside yourself and and work on yourself uh, you know on a daily basis but at the point when i was really i felt that i was okay and i was able to to help other people you know strong people lift people lift people up right okay. they don't they don't uh push people down right and so when you feel that you're at that point to lift other people up you know, that's when you. I feel like you're ready to to take on that mission. Uh,
0: I love it. I love it. All right, so you you got ready, and and next thing you know, I it sounds like you met someone special, and and yes, yes. Walk, walk us through that a little bit.
1: Uh, my wife Sarah. Uh, we met in Austin, Texas, one of the best cities in the U.S. I will, I will put Austin up there with with any city in the world. I love <laughs> it. Uh, as you know, AJ lives there. Yeah, And you know, his beautiful wife Abby, and Abby yeah. and Sarah are sisters. So, um, you know, then that's how I, I eventually met you. Uh, Sarah and I dated, I want to say maybe six years before we got married. Uh, she was actually not, we thought she had, we thought she wasn't going to be able to have children. And, uh, as luck turned out, um, you know, we took in Caden who we're about to talk about, uh, shortly, uh, part we took in Caden because he, he, he needed help. Mm-hmm. Uh and within like a month of, of taking in Caden, Sarah became pregnant.
0: Oh wow. That's so cool.
1: uh, I think you- the pressure was off of her and uh you know, she uh she uh she hit a home run for us.
0: Yeah, she did. Well let's talk about let's talk about Caden now. I mean you brought him up and let's and 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 if you want to maybe we'll we'll weave in some of that the the, the extreme differences in, in parenting that were, mm-hmm. that were happening, right. One, you know, your child and then Caden. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Caden's background and how Caden came to you?
1: Yeah. Um, Caden is my half great nephew. He is my half brother's grandchild and my niece's son, mm-hmm. uh, my niece, Hannah. And, um, she, uh, you know, when we talk about cycles and, you know, breaking the cycle, um, Hannah had a, a very hard life. Um, she was, I think, one, year old, one years old when her mother, who was a heroin addict, actually kidnapped her for a period oh. of about a year. And my brother had custody of, uh, of uh, Hannah and, um, you know, her mom came over for a visit and, you know, took her out for ice cream and never came back. Wow. Right. And, and, you know, eventually about my brother searched for her, searched for her. And then about a year later uh, he gets a phone call, you know, from a phone booth you know, when they still had phone booths at the time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and it was like, Hey, come pick your child up. I'm at the you know, corner of Seven Eleven on, you know, Wanna hill and what
0: happened what happened during that year i mean there was just no trace of them there was she did i mean obviously it sounds like hannah didn't have credit cards she didn't have anything for police to follow or track up and it seems like maybe the the judicial system wasn't a help at all either there huh
1: yeah i'm not sure I, i can't say what happened with the judicial system i know my brother reached out to her parents and her parents i think hid them, the, the two of them. Oh, really? Know, yeah, wow. is what wow. I think happened. Um, and, uh, but uh, she was no place to raise a child. And, you know, as we're about to talk about uh, with Caden, you know, if, if the, a child doesn't get that nurturing the first two years of life, that's the most important time um, for a child to for brain development. If they don't get that nurturing, um, if you're with a parent that has is a drug addict, uh, and they don't they don't come in and pick up the child when the child's crying or give the, ball, give the, the baby a bottle when, when it's hungry. Those things have permanent uh, and long-lasting and permanent impacts on the brain that, that can't be overcome later in life.
0: So it's the, it's the, the synapses, right? I mean, it's the, yeah. the actual wiring to the limb. It's from the limbic system to the cognition, right? That within those stressors, when within those survival stressors that ignite, there has to be a sensation of of where the stressor ends right and that's where that nurturing begins to come into play right and then really ultimately continues through our whole life i mean honestly when you know if you go through any trauma at any time you know it's it's the it's the therapy it's the post trauma where the rehabilitation really comes in right to 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 formulate new synapses around that trauma but it sounds like It was just, that was just non-existent for Caden, huh?
1: Yeah, non-existent for Caden, non-existent uh, for Hannah. And uh, yeah, uh, here's a a fact most people don't know is that you have more synapse when you're two years old than you do when you're an adult. Mm -hmm. The bulk of your synapse development happens when when you're two and you spend the rest of your life paring down the synapse that you don't need. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So you, you're, 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 you're born and then you're nurtured and your, your brain just explodes with synapse development. And, um, and if that is blocked by not getting that nurturing that you need, it just doesn't grow. And then there, it's, it's, there's a lot of people, you know, some scientists will just tell you it doesn't grow back. I hear some people say that you can through, um, neurodevelopment and, um, uh, it's, doing... It's-
0: I don't I, so far we're not seeing a lot of it. I mean there's some interesting studies happening right now with with psychedelics but you know uh, I don't think that's uh, creating the the type of synapses it's, it's just kind of unlocking your consciousness I think a little to read out yeah. your trauma a little bit and and certainly children aren't are not you know they're they're not they it's not a good thing to use on them because it's so profound and they can't deal with it but you know, even I, we, I mean, you know, cause that's what really, what we're struggling with right now is trying to develop, you know, some, some, uh, solutions for all the traumatic brain injury. And essentially when you, when you think about it, I mean, it's, you know, uh, the, the, that's what you know these these young people experience. That's what Hannah experienced. That's what Caden experiences. This essentially, it's right. It's post traumatic stress,
1: right? Yeah, post traumatic stress, reactive attachment disorder. You know, uh, it can you, is. Can at-
0: you? I'm sorry, Greg. Can you describe re, uh, reactive detachment disorder?
1: Yeah, reactive attachment disorder. Um, so, um, you form attachments to your parental figures, your first two years of your life uh, through that nurturing phase. And if you don't get that nurturing, you've, you don't, you're unable to attach to other individuals, right? You, your, your brain says, the person that was in charge of me and, and was, was supposed to take care of me didn't. And I can't trust you. Wow. And, and it doesn't matter how hard you love that child. They don't trust you because it, it was imprinted in the first two years, so hard that it they just can't get away from that.
0: Wow! All right, so so finally, when your your brother got Hannah back, mm-hmm. right? It had been a year, and or this was Kate. This was this was Caden. Well, Hannah, my, Hannah my first. brother. Hannah, yeah, first Hannah first was yeah. and then and and in that year did what happened to Hannah in that year was there any did anybody find out or was it what was she exposed to or
1: i mean God only knows it, it is um you know being with some being raised by uh, a mother that's on heroin i mean you can only imagine um what's going on
0: well i've been I, in I, I, I don't even know how many you know of those whether it was crack house or heron den or whatever. I mean, when I was a paramedic, both in New York city and in San Antonio, man, you'd walk into these places and, you know, there's needles everywhere. There's, you know, there's, there's crack pipes everywhere. And you see in a corner, there's this, you know, waist high pile of diapers just thrown in the corner. And then, you know, all the kids are naked and it's just, it's, it's treacherous. It really is.
1: Yeah. uh, I I, I couldn't imagine. I asked, you know, we've asked Caden what he remembers of his mother. And he says, the only thing I remember of my mom is uh, she would ask me to pass a pipe uh, to one person to the next. So, you know, she did crystal, she did, um, um, ecstasy, marijuana. Um, I don't know, you know, what was in it. God only knows. But just imagine being a one-year-old, two-year-old passing a pipe from one person to the next. And he says, I just remember it glowing. Uh, And, um, you know, she did drugs in utero. uh, And then he was exposed to those drugs in the first year's life on top of not getting the nurturing that he needed.
0: When, When did Hannah first start exploring with drugs? Like, was this just a lifetime battle with her as well, too?
1: I don't know. Um, I, I would 15, 16, 17, yeah. I would say somewhere around there.
0: Really what those very vulnerable times, right? Those times yeah. where young girls are, who are experiencing those self-worth issues, who are experiencing attachment disorders, who are experiencing, you know, drug usage and, and promiscuity, man, it's, man, it's just a recipe for disaster. When did, when did she have, hey, uh, Caden,
1: she was pregnant. She got pregnant um, about two weeks before her 18th birthday,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um, he was born uh, November 27th. Um, wow! Know, when she was 18.
0: Okay, all right. And and so ha- fast forward us. When when did when did Kaden come into your life, and why? Yeah, I'm, I
1: went to the hospital to celebrate Kaden's birth, and um, you know I walked in and I wanted to see him. And I couldn't see him because he was in the NICU Uh, and I asked why he was in the NICU. And uh, it was because he was born prematurely. His lungs weren't developed. Uh, She was doing drugs and um, smoking cigarettes, you know, in utero. Uh, She wasn't, she didn't see a a doctor for neonatal care. Uh, She was on Medicaid at the time, didn't have a job, boyfriend didn't have a job. I asked her where, uh, you know, where can I drop off some, some gifts, you know, cause I knew she knew she needed things. Well, she, she said, I need a, I need a heater, a space heater because I'm sleeping on my best friend's couch and she doesn't have heat in the house. Wow. And at that moment I said, okay, you're coming to live with me. And,
0: um, I just, I- just, you just felt compelled in that moment in that time saying now. Nah. I got to do what's right. Had you ever done anything like that before in your life?
1: No, no. Uh, and my wife is a, a hospice social worker, so it's near and dear to her heart to help, you know, with, with children. Um, it, it was just, it, I didn't even have a choice. It was, I I could not allow a child, uh, to be raised like that. And I, I knew, um, you know, how she grew up. I grew up in the same environment, you know, um, it's tough, you know. I don't. At the time, you know, it, she was just a baby having a baby. You know, um, she was she was coming from a broken place. Uh, she was just looking for something to, to to grab a hold on hold of, and uh, you know, she went out. She had really um, no um, uh, discernment in terms of what boy she was going to be with, um, and the guy, you know, he just bailed and she had you know she had nobody
0: And that was uh, it he just he, it was just it was there was no relationship there he didn't make an effort whatsoever it was just like whatever there's I'm, i'm i'm gone
1: yeah and it you know uh he was african-american and my brother uh said that he wasn't going to help her because she had a, a child with an african African-American, african-american male
0: your brother had said that yeah to her wow, wow okay
1: uh so um you know she was she had no place to go so i brought her in um the very first after the very first night that we had her had hannah and kaden uh we smelled cigarettes no we smelled smoke right and uh we asked why is there cigarettes and he was like she was like well my boyfriend smoked in the bathroom i was like well you know he can't do that again uh, and it turns out, you know, we kept smelling smoke, kept smelling smoke. We don't smoke. Um, and uh, it turned out she was smoking cigarettes in the baby's room. Oh, wow. Wow. He would just got out of NICU for no lung development. So, I mean, you can, it's just one after another, this, this little boy has had, um, had issues uh, that were thrown upon him that he's just really not able to deal with.
0: What, what, how long did Hannah last with you guys, and, and how long did she last in the fight for Caden?
1: Uh, she lasted about three months at my house. Then she moved in with my mother, her grandmother. Um, and I think she lasted a few months there, and then she went to um, um, some type of residential treatment care where she was there for for a year, oh, wow. and, uh, and Caden was there for a year. Uh, she got out and she started uh, using and uh, um, just abandoned him at friends' houses. Uh, we got a call from CPS and said, "Hey, um, we um, Hannah's been reported to from uh, CPS in Texas, and um, uh, you know, this, if you don't come get this baby, then um, we're going to put him in the." C- put him in the system and um we were like no we're, we're gonna we'll take him and um so we took him in and we've had him ever since
0: and and what how old was Caden then
1: about Two and a half.
0: Two and a half. so for yeah. two and a half years she bounced around still exposing him didn't didn't give him any of the the nurturing he needed didn't know how to I mean she's a child herself she didn't know what right. she was doing yeah. plus she had addiction issues um was there is there any place um you know, was there, did was it a struggle for you guys to make that decision? What, did you guys like say, wow, because at the same time you, you had a baby, your baby was howled at that time?
1: Uh, we or we didn't even know we were going to have a baby at that time.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. We t- okay. We
1: took him in being, t- I always thought I was going to be a man without children.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: And uh, you know, I was, you know, I, I it took me, a lot to um, did to you, have, you not want to have,
0: wanna have children because you didn't want to expose them to the harshness of life
1: um, I, first of all first, for the first you know twenty fifteen twenty years of my adult life, i didn't want to expose them to the harshness of my life years yeah wow. and uh That's and heavy. and that me, me me saying that I had to get some things that I had to work through. Uh, and I didn't want to, I didn't want to pass, uh, continue that cycle. I prayed to God more times than I can count about breaking the cycle, you know, uh, please let me break the cycle. Let me break the cycle. Let me break the cycle. And I always thought that th- that was, um, about me and, you know, my child and, you know, he put me in a place and it was actually about Caden and, and, you know, that's become that's my mission is, is, is to break that cycle. It's always, you know, you always think that, you know. Um, what you need, and you know the the God challenge that that's going to be put put in front of you, and then you, boom, you get hit, and uh, have, it's always no different. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you you have no idea what He's going to serve you, right? Or what oh, no idea, no hit, idea. You know, you and it's just that's the beauty of it, and and I mean, it, it it you know the deeper your faith go goes, you know, hopefully the deeper your strength goes as well to it, right? Because yeah, yeah you know, if you walk that apostolic life, you walk that Jericho mile, man, and you're, you're searching for that person who needs help, you know, whether it's your own children or family member, but people cross your path all the time. And the great challenge is, is, are you willing to go outside of yourself, right? To really make it about everything but you. And, and, and it seems that Caden came into your life at that time, right? Right. Yep. Yep. And and let's talk about Caden. Let's talk about what, what, as soon as you got him, what was that like? It was, did you, did you expect that there was going to be the issues? Did you, had you been briefed by Hannah and were you prepared in any way for what you ended up, what you're dealing with now? Uh, No, we weren't
1: briefed by Hannah. I mean, we knew kind of the, his backstory, but you know, there's, there, there's no awareness about reactive attachment disorder. Um, Most people don't know about it and it's, prevalent and you know
0: when you say that how prevalent is it i mean how big is it
1: i can't say but just think about all of the children that don't get nurturing b- between zero and two years old i mean it's it's out there and you know if the children don't get it then they're labeled as problem trials when they get older and then it turns into borderline personality disorder and then it turns into like jail or you know homeless
0: Well, usually how it ends up. Well, and you know, as I and I said in the beginning, I went through a bunch of statistics for for the foster care system, and you know, with four hundred fifty plus thousand kids in the foster care system, everybody wants to believe that it's these teenage kids that are in there, but the average age is six and a half. And so, you know, if that's the average age, the low end, these kids are coming into the system right around that time, two, three, four, and they're there because obviously they can't be taken care of, and they most likely have those disabilities Mm -hmm. and like i also said and you know the disability numbers are off the chart you know in terms of 50 percent almost of of kids in foster care at those ages have disabilities and Mm -hmm. a lot of them are these mental health disabilities these are from a lack of nurturing did you see it immediately was did you just know or because i mean there'd been a time before when you first had them as an infant and then there was what two and a half years later you got him as this you know toddler. What was that like initially? How how soon did you go? Wow, this is a lot.
1: Um, you know, it presents itself differently when they're two than when they're eight than when when the, than when they're thirteen. Uh, you know, when they're um, that young of age. Um, you know, they're still, you know, seeking that, that nurturing. And so, you know, they, they go through most kids with rad, they go through a honeymoon phase when they, when you get, when you get them, um, they are almost angelic, uh, with the exception that, uh, they, they have, um, they don't have a lot of them of motion, uh, that other kids will have, um, their, their, um, face is almost vacant.
0: when it comes to emotion so when um is that is that is that a reactive thing is it like you you give them something that traditionally would make a kid smile and light up and they're just blank right or or you give them love like you put your arms on them you love on them and they're just blank is that what is that what you're suggesting is that's what it's like
1: yeah exactly uh you think about it you know you think of a mom like holding their kid um in her between her knees, and she's looking at him, and uh, you know she's like peekaboo and playing with him, and and smiling, and you know this is this is what he means to smile, and you know then she gives him a kiss and a hug, and that's what it, those are the emotions, and um, imagine not getting that. So uh, you when someone goes to hug you, you don't know how to react, right? And um, so um, they they can't clue into. Um, uh to uh body language right they don't understand they're almost like autistic in that way mm-hmm. on the spectrum where they you know people will say 90 percent of all languages body it's not how, it's not what you say it's how you say it right mm-hmm. and um so they 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 don't understand that so those are the the first things that 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 you'll notice uh he he had a distended stomach because he went a long time he looks like one of those that African babies that you see on National Geographic, yep, right? Yeah, He had to sit in the stomach because he wasn't getting the nutrients that he needed. So he hung off the door of the refrigerator crying, even though we had just fed him, because uh, he didn't think he w- that he would get that next meal.
0: Wow. Right? So, wow. Um, yeah.
1: Um, wow. And it, that, was it, a,
0: that was like, oh, my God.
1: Yeah. Th- this, yeah.
0: This, not only is he starving, but he's, he's afraid it's going to be taken away from him, too
1: right yeah, yeah oh
0: my gosh
1: and he hoards he to this day he does he hoards he'll go into our pantries uh and he'll go into the refrigerator and he'll take food and he'll put it underneath his bed that's how ingrained it is in him to to hoard it's like he sees food and uh his instinct is not to share with someone his is he goes into survival mode he's like okay how, how can i get this from these people and he sees it as that's how he sees it is he doesn't see us as the parents. He sees us as, okay, these people are providing me something, and how can I get that most from them? How can I manipulate them wow. and, and doing that? And that that's just something that a, a lot of kids with reactive attachment disorder have. It's hard to um, – when you're on the outside, it's really hard for people to come look in and see that. And, um, you know, the parents of react- uh, reactive attachment kids have to be real strict, and, and, and you know, they have to have uh, – a routine and you can't get him out of that routine. And, uh, you know, it's, you can't give him a lot of choices and things like that. And if, you know, you're at a, a birthday party and, and, you know, he's there and, and you're trying to, to manage him, uh, cause any parties or events make him blow up as well. Our Christmas and Thanksgivings were disasters for the first six years. We, wow. we could only, we could only give him like one present cause he couldn't handle it. He couldn't handle having more. How does
0: that work? Tell me, explain what a typical Christmas morning would be like with, with him.
1: Uh, yeah, we would literally give him one present and our other child one present. We felt like, I mean, we obviously were, uh, we want to, you know, give our kids it, everything they, they want, but it's, we couldn't do that because uh, he takes, you um, he takes score with the other kid. If yeah. the other kid gets something, you know, why didn't I get that? Then that'll make him blow up, right? But if you give him too much, then he's not comfortable. And then that makes him blow up as well. Right. So it's like a fine line. I mean, one, two, three gifts uh, was generally uh, where we would stay. And we would try not to make a big deal about Christmas, try not to make a big deal about Thanksgiving. You know, here's some gifts. We would just have dinner, nothing big. Uh, we, couldn't, um, we couldn't invite people over to our home. Wow. Yeah, he would uh, – Explain
0: he some of the, the – the, the, what he would display. What, what was he displaying at, at five years old? What, what were you seeing there? Because, you know, at five you have that that next big shift, right? That hmm. next big shift where you're starting to see kids be able to follow rules more, be able to uh, socially adapt more, be able to integrate with other children a little bit better, right? Uh, what were you seeing with Caden at five?
1: Um, the lack of being able to socially integrate with children. Um, you know, he, he wasn't able to engage with another child. He wasn't able to, uh, develop a normal relationship. He didn't know the steps of developing a normal relationship. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, and he was, he's very, um, Demanding, he, he would try to intimidate kids uh, to like them. You know, he wanted a, a friend so bad that he would be like, just try to tell them what to do. You know, and then immediately, you know, those kids are just like, uh, yeah, I'm going to go the other way and find someone else to play with. And uh, this, he, uh, he still struggles with that to this day. So he's 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 alone. You know, it's uh, it's hard for him to have um, the interactions with the parental figures, and he's he's not able to to uh, get long-standing friendships. Okay. He doesn't have
0: one. He doesn't have a friend. At all? No, not one. Do you think that he considers – is there any type of friendship with you or your wife?
1: Yeah, I mean, I do. I, he, he has a more, better friendship with me than he does my wife because my wife uh, is that mom that didn't – in his eyes, is that mom that didn't take care of him, right? So uh, a lot of times with kids that have re- a reactive atta- attachment disorder, they take out all their um, – their anger on the parental figure that didn't that let them down yeah yeah uh, those zero two years so uh and that was that was mom so dad is a a safer person which i don't know know why he he really did that because his dad didn't do anything for him yeah uh but he wasn't there and i think um sometimes kids when they're when one parent is out of sight out of sight they're out of mind and they get a pass in, um, in certain ways um so, um, you know, my wife, uh, she got the brunt of it. And so he did, does have a, a better relationship with me and Cohen, uh, our son has a relationship with him as well. Although, um, you know, Caden is really, um, you know, he's very, he was very abusive to Cohen. So Cohen, uh, he feels unsafe when, when he comes back to the home. So, yeah.
0: um, Let me ask you this. When was the first time that you saw it? Outside counsel, outside psychologist, psych, you know, psychologist, child development specialist. When did you first start exploring the options, and how many have you looked for and gone through since?
1: We first um, put him into therapy when he was four. Okay. And, uh, he was at, um, the momentous Institute in, in Dallas. I want to give a big shout out to them. Uh, they're sponsored by, um, the PGA tour mm-hmm. and everything they do is free. Oh, wow. And, um, so if you ever have a child, and you're in the, the Dallas Fort Worth area and you're going through some type of mental health disorder, go to the momentous Institute in Dallas. Uh, th- they do all the batteries of testing thousands of dollars worth of testing free. Wow. Uh, they have, um, you know, um, pre-kindergarten, uh, kindergarten, you know, first grade, real small classes, trying to get the kids ready, ready for, um, for, for that. Uh, he went, uh, he went to there, uh, that was our first. And then we, he, we moved to Atlanta. I believe he was five when we moved to Atlanta and, um, he did okay the first year, um, he did pretty good. And then the next year he started to have a lot of, um, um, a lot of issues. Uh, and, uh, so we put him in to, we, we, we got him a psychiatrist and a, a psychologist. Uh, he went to one psychologist, I wouldn't say for about a year and then ish half a year, a year. And then he went to, um, uh, two other psychologists Uh, and then at that point that up till last year he had he was he was manageable like he was we I want to say that but uh, we did have an issue Um, he had some sexualized behavior that was demonstrated Um, uh, you know we had to send him to my sister sister sister-in-law AJ and and um, uh, Abby took him in for about three months and then he came back and um uh up until he was manageable up until last year and then we told him that his biological mother was having a baby oh wow and uh within 3 weeks of telling her that he was he did his first in a long-term residential care he he just couldn't handle it
0: okay and and had he ever, had he done any stints in, in, in kind of long-term care at all? Had he done anything like that? You guys were, you developed a system that he could operate in. What kind of school was he going to?
1: Um, He was going to a regular elementary school, but he was, um, you know, in, in SPED. Um, He, he had a a 504 IEP plan. um, So he's in special education. He had a, um, a paraprofessional that would, walk with him everywhere he went at school every day
0: at school there was someone with him just hanging it making sure he got to where he had to go would she would he or she stay in the classroom with him to oh, assist? yeah yeah yeah
1: uh, he he had to stay there he had uh he would throw chairs desks they would have to take out all the students out of the the uh, classroom and he would be curled up in a ball in, uh in the corner of the classroom. And my wife would, she would just have to be on call all the time to come up there and uh, she would come in and you know, he would just be there rocking himself, you know, by himself.
0: How, how often would those episodes happen?
1: We actually had to chart it for his uh, sped class. And um, he, I want to say he had uh, in a semester, like 30,
0: 30. Wow. Yeah, so it was almost weekly.
1: Yeah, and, and he and he eloped. Um, for those that don't know what elope means, it's it's running, you know, running away. You have the when you uh, have a reactive attachment disorder, you have that fight or flight syndrome. So uh, I know, a lot of people with PTSD have that as well, right? Oh my so, God,
0: it's it's the most prevalent aspect that you got. The your hypervigilance or hyper stress or hyper exactly. whatever you want to call it is just permanently flipped on.
1: Right. And that's what he has. It's, it's permanently flipped on. Uh, he, you know, he's got PTSD. Uh, so if loud noises, we'll, we'll send him there. Um, him, I remember showing him the elementary school, uh, for the first time. Um, it, it was before he was, uh, it was like, we were moving to Atlanta and it was probably, I want to say it was May when we were like, okay, let's go take a look at the elementary school. This is where we're going to go next year. And we took a tour of the elementary school. And when we got to, the cafeteria and the cafeteria was full and the loud noise he took off running and you know we were having chase chasing down that, it was, that was just
0: instinctual he just sees um, it and he just goes
1: yeah he just goes and he, wow. he he's he's eloped I want to say 50 times
0: from your house or from school or everything
1: a combination okay. uh, most mostly from school um I want to say he's eloped from our house Six times, maybe. Okay. Uh, uh, I just had uh, June of last year. I had quad I had completely severed my quadriceps tendon, uh, and um, you know I-, I couldn't run. And uh, so when he eloped, uh, I- the only thing I could do was get in my car and you know try to try to find out where he is, and chase him down
0: Right. that way. How how is the what were, and were you guys working with specialists to try and? with someone there to help guide you guys is someone there to give you information are there specialists out there in the system somewhere that can coach you or have coached you and helped you guys in, in any way shape or form
1: well now we're about to get into the meat of it of the conversation i think we are um so um to finish your previous question though about um specialists where you know he he had been before uh, at that point, after we told him about his mother being pregnant, he went into uh, his first um, uh, 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 spend of um, acute psych, and then went to long-term residential care. After that, then he, then he came home, uh, and at that point, we didn't get any any anything from them. It was just like, you know, hey, come pick him up. And here you go. From here's this his,
0: care facility, they didn't yeah, give was, you a plan. They didn't no, give you no, a brief. They didn't give you anything.
1: No, no. It, and where was get,
0: this what was this facility?
1: It was in Savannah, Georgia.
0: And it was a state mandated
1: facility or it was, it was a, um, we got like an action plan. We got they, they sat me down uh in the in the reception area when when he was being discharged and they went through a one page right and says you know this is what you should do if you know he runs or he gets you know abusive and you know they make you sign it yeah we went through an action plan and uh then how long
0: was he there again three months three months so he was in for three months and 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 when he came out are are you i mean obviously you're like well what you know did what happened or was he able to just to discuss any of what he experienced with you does he have that level of cognition where he can he can sit down with you and say you know greg this is what happened to me and it's confusing or is he able to uh, distinguish those experiences to you in any kind of way that that helps you
1: he you know he would say i'm like this cuz my mom didn't take care of me you know is what he would say but i think he's just repeating something you know that 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 he was told um, you know, he got worse after he was, he was there. He picked up a whole new vocabulary, uh, from being in long-term residential care. Um, you know, he would, um, some white boy called him the N word really? uh, while he, yeah, while he was there the whole time I was there. So, uh, he started calling me that, uh, you know, being a white male, I sat him down and made him watch Roots. What was it Roots or 12, 12 Years of Slave right. or whatever right. that was? Yeah. I was like, you don't use that word, and then this is why. And I sat him down. I was like, this is what happened. And tried to educate him on that, but, you know, he he still did that. He was um, sexually assaulted while he was there with a boy that was in his in – his, um, that was in his room. He woke up, and a boy was on top of him. Wow! Uh, and was like, "Hey, you're real cute." And I told him, told n- n- them uh, the facility about it. Well, the facility knew about it, but they said it was more. It wasn't really an assault. It was an you know, inappropriate boundaries, is what they called it.
0: Are you kidding uh, me? Oh yeah. my god!
1: But uh, you know, so one thing after another, uh, he was out of there for probably a week or two. Then he went back and do a cute psych. Uh, then he made his first um, three months back in long-term residential care, uh, and every time his, his behaviors became progressively worse and worse because he was learning worse behaviors from the kids that were around him. And uh, so he started learning the concept of suicide and oh, no. uh, would wrap uh, cords around his neck to try to kill himself. Wow, in uh, care here when he came here.
0: back oh, wow.
1: and uh, that landed him in his last bout of long-term residential care that he's he's there today um so this brings us up to uh, i think really the main topic of which we're going to talk about today um our insurance company we have i have i'm really well insured i um i have a good job um i have one of the prim- primary insurance providers out there and cadence on disability and he has medicaid And both of them denied him coverage for long-term residential care during the pandemic. So imagine what? Yeah. During the pandemic, we're going to release him, but we're going to release him with services. So you're going to have someone that if he has an issue is going to come over to your house and help you. Uh, But you know, it turned out that people weren't coming to the home during the pandemic.
0: No, so the services weren't would, available. They just shut them down.
1: Oh, the virtual. So imagine, imagine having a child that elopes and you're, uh, what are you going to do, run around with a computer? Uh, and, uh, Here,
0: watch this. There, yeah, uh, yeah. Hold
1: on, hold on. Hey, let me get them on, on the line. Let,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's absurd. It's, That's it's insane. A joke.
1: It's, it's a joke. And uh, so, um, and are know, they? We,
0: hold on. I'm sorry. Are they still doing, are they still not showing up? We don't have what, him. Oh, right? yeah, I know. I knew that. Would, or, so are you – do you know Are because COVID is still going on, are they still not doing that? Everything's still virtual.
1: Well, it, you know, the, some people will um, come into the home. Um, but me, you know, if you have any health issues or things like that, I mean, think about it. You're like, I don't know where this person's been. And, yep. um, so parents are, are faced with, okay, if I want to get services – My insurance isn't going to pay for this. Um, I'm going to have to allow a personal home that's been that goes to homes that people probably aren't well taken care of. Right. Right. Uh, With this population, and you don't know where that where these people have been. So, um, it's it's very scary uh, to to deal with a child with a mental health disorder during the pandemic. Uh, You know, and it's it's not being talked. It's not being talked about.
0: Why is it so scary? Let's let's get into this. Tell me all the reasons why. This is, is, has such an out, incredible potential to be catastrophic for these types of children around the country.
1: Um, so insurance denied it. Uh, they said he needs to be in a foster home with services. or the, He really needs to come home with services. We tried to bring him home with services. And he went into a crisis, and every time he had a crisis, there were, people weren't available. I mean, most of the time these kids go into crisis at night, like, you know, and, you know, people for one reason or another don't like to answer their phone in the middle of the night, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and they run and you can't, I mean, we've had to call the police and uh, he charged a police officer. Uh, it scares me him being African-American and charging police officers. I mean, he was, the police officer was super nice. Um, you know, when people talk about, you know, police officers don't have hearts. I, you know, I, they showed him a lot of heart. Um, and you know, um, they, you know, they, they looked at him, but, I think a lot of times the police officers, you know, they, they assess risk more than than color. And it, it, at fourteen, fifteen years old, he might be a bigger risk. And so it scares me uh, if he's going to charge police officers. What could happen to him? Black, white, or purple? Um, you and know, he's still
0: he's still an adolescent too. He hasn't moved yeah. into that next phase. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. And uh, so um, we we couldn't guarantee his safety. And so um, I had to call defects and and. Georgia and tell them, Hey, listen, we have a child. Uh, he's been denied insurance coverage. We can't guarantee his safety as his guardian. I was tasked with guaranteeing the safety of this child and making sure that I could give him an environment in which he would be safe. I couldn't, I couldn't guarantee that. The, the services weren't helping me uh, and I couldn't run after him. I was physically unable to do that, and I couldn't guarantee it. So I called defects I was like, "Hey, I need um, I need your help. I can't guarantee the, the safety of him. He's he gave my wife a black eye. He's he wow. hit um, Cohen, my littlest. Um, you know, I can't I can't I can't guarantee the safety of our family and him. I need your help. I need to be able to put him somewhere. And in order for defects in the state of Georgia to take him in i had to give uh, temporary custody of him so that means that the state of georgia gets to make every decision in caden's life for him for him you have
0: no more you are literally you had to give it up in order to get in order to get help you because your insurance company which is a platinum insurance insurance policy yeah no longer will provide the adequate services because of covid Right. Not so, because of
1: COVID, because they said he was at a baseline, but it yeah. happened during COVID.
0: Okay. So, so now you need help. So you have to give him up to D and then D takes total control of the child. So you no longer can have any say in the decisions that happened to that child's life.
1: No, Absolutely zero say it. I mean, complete and total control. Not only that. So here's the story and this is going to blow your mind. So, um, I have a cousin. He's pretty well connected in the New York area. Um, he knew the president of the New York Hospital Association, and he contacted that that president, who was a friend of his, on my behalf. And that gentleman contacted my insurance provider, higher ups at, at the at the insurance company, and uh, he, you know, it's sometimes it's not what you know to you know, right? Mm-hmm. And they. Kind of move mountains, and they said uh, they called us up and they're like, hey, we've escalated your case. Um, they asked us, where do you want him to be? What 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 is your selection? And we found this place in New Mexico. They specialize in reactive attachment disorder. We've never had him in a place that specialized direct in reactive attachment disorder. And they're like, all we need is the clinicals. Once that's approved, once we get that, we can, we can uh, pre-certify you, and he can go to to to. Uh, New Mexico. And we were like, praise Jesus. Our answers have been, uh, our, our prayers have been answered. Been answered
0: right. right yeah. yeah.
1: And I was like, this is amazing. Right. And you know, we're jumping for joy and we contact them and um, defects was like, we're going to go on the, the residential treatment facilities recommendation and they're recommending foster care. And um, we don't really care if you want him to go somewhere else. Why? What? Did they give you an explanation? Uh, because we don't have custody of them anymore. And DFACS had custody of them, and DFACS goes based off of their recommendation. And they are like, we don't really – I was like, but the only reason why we I called you is because we didn't have the financial ability to – Help this child and put him in the place that he needed to be right and and they're like oh we don't care the judge said that we have custody of him, and if this is how we do things we're going to treat you exactly like a person that neglected their child you you're going to treat you d yes.
0: george is going to treat you like you're the neglective parent
1: it actually says in the petition that that he is there in their custody because of neglect what Yes the petition that was given to the court says that and I said to the judge I said there's no maltreatment here there's no neglect and they 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 were, they were like yeah and so we have another court date that's on April 8th. Uh, who's 15. your
0: ju- who's the judge that's here in this case That's how they do it that's how they do it and so I so I, it's just their rubber stamping kid Yeah. Boom, it's a kid, factory boom kid yeah boom, boom boom
1: and they use the same template that they use on a person that completely abandoned their child it's and and I asked them, so they know that I wanted to to put them in a different facility, right? And they wanted to do the foster care. And I said, I I I need you to take out that we neglected Caden because I don't want someone lo- looking at my name and having something in a court record that says I neglected a child. My wife is a social worker; she certainly can't have something that she neglected. No, any at human all. being. At no, all. no. And so they said to me we'll take out the neglect out of the petition if you give up permanent custody. And I'm like, what don't you want this child to come back to us? And why would you play hard? Like, why, why would you use this as a bargaining chip when I never
0: neglected him to begin with? Were you dealing with a lawyer? Were you talking to their attorneys or were you uh, don't their attorneys administrate? So it's an attorney and, and who, who were, what was the law firm that you were dealing with? Are they in-house attorneys? In-house, yeah. So these are these state are attorneys. state attorneys of Georgia yeah. for the D-Facts who set who are bargaining Caden's life. Yeah. And, and with you because they don't want to they don't want to reallocate and and change a system in any way to in any way shape it. or form. Yeah. Holy shit!
1: It's it, it boggles my mind. I spent two hours today talking with attorneys talking with defects
0: and what did they um, say what i'm sorry sir there's just nothing we can do this is the way it's done so here i mean no here's what
1: here's what happens when you when you deal with them is you, you get a caseworker that once you go to, to defects you get a caseworker that tries to work on reunification and that caseworker works tries their sole job is to get the child back into the home they always want the child back into the home when that case when it comes to the point when we couldn't we can't put that child back in the home right because he can't come back here because he's not he's not safe he's not safe to himself he's not safe to the family right and until he gets the help he needs or we he's not this isn't a safe place for him so we couldn't do the reunification and so it goes to another case worker and those two case workers don't really talk so nah, like they there's, don't there's, they don't do anything right it's like and sure, they probably okay.
0: sit right next to each other in the same cubicle space in the government building where they get their paycheck every first and 15th right
1: <laughs> well right now it's all on zoom um, everything's on zoom yeah. and, um, uh, you know,
0: they, they're very well
1: intentioned, but when it goes, when it comes to the court case, social the, worker, the
0: caseworkers were like, you felt yeah. like they were on your side. They want to work with you that they weren't, they didn't just shine you off like the judge did, like the lawyers are doing. No,
1: I, I don't think so, but their caseloads So. It's so significant. So, how much time can they really invest in it? And
0: I don't know. Well, how big is a caseload for a typical person? How many kids does your caseworker have? Is it is it is it fifty? Is it five hundred? Is it a five thousand? I have
1: no idea. Uh, but it's it's kind of like a factory. So once they get in that in the court system, it's like this is how we do it with the court. They get that template, you know that, and they don't change it.
0: They don't you know? give a they, shit about the kids. They change
1: the name, you know. Control F, you know find, replace, and uh, then they they ship it off, and then they work on the next one, and uh, they don't really, you know, they haven't really changed it, but, you know, I get it, and the first thing I see is, this says neglect, we can't have this, and I say, I'm not, I don't agree to this, and we go to court, and then boom, it's it's in the court document, you know, they show it to us two days before the court, and we ask them to revise it, they didn't revise it, it's one sentence, they could have just easily deleted it, they didn't, and uh what was their
0: reason? What what did they say to you today? Why didn't they take it out?
1: Um, they're not going to waste their time taking it out if I'm not going to agree that they're going to have custody. is what there's is what they're saying.
0: And so, and their and their solution is just shoving them in foster care, right? Not sending yeah. them out to this what was the name of the facility you found out there, Villa
1: Santa Maria. Santa Maria. In, so, yeah, in in uh Villa Santa Maria in New Mexico. Um you know I actually, you know, the, the, the facility wants foster care. Um, all this, the social workers with defects wanted to foster care. And I was, you know, I know when I can fight a battle. And I know when I can't, and I know I, I can't fight this battle. And all I said is I'm willing to give foster care a shot, but I want to be able to have a plan for reunification that states in there that there's no neglect that we can reunify when he gets better. And if he doesn't get better in foster care, I want to be able to place him where in the facility that, that I want to place him in. So I was like, we'll give it a shot. I'll give it, I'll put all my heart into it and do everything I can to, to make this successful. But if it's not, I want to be able to do the legwork to get him into this facility. Because when, when, when it, doesn't become successful you don't get three weeks notice you get Kate some happened to Caden last night he has to go into a facility right Right. and then that defects social workers like okay where's an open bed right that's gonna be the conversation
0: And and how many facilities are there in your area to take if Caden has an episode in foster care and do you, you don't get to pick the foster care home, right? You don't get to go through, all right, this one has great – because foster cares aren't, aren't rated on Yelp, right? Like you don't get a – you don't have a, a five-star foster care home rating system,
1: do you? No. They're, in fact, um, they, they, um, they are going to allow us to uh, talk to the foster parents only after the first foster parent that fell through. So uh, they found him a, a, a foster parent. Uh, it was an, um, older African-American woman. So no father in the home. Yep. She had two foster ki- kids. Um, there was a seven year old and a 10 year old and Kaden had sexualized behavior. They were going to put him in a room with another, another boy and, um, a, and little girls girl in the other room. So already if he lopes, she can't. If she goes after Caden, which she ain't going to catch him, if she goes after Caden, she's going to leave a 7- to 10-year-old unattended.
0: Yeah, that's And nice. I
1: brought that up. And they're like, well, they just brushed it off. And then um, we asked that, you know, in the court documents, it said that we got one visit a month and I think two phone calls. And we were like, why are we why are you restricting the number of visits and phone calls that we're going to have? We didn't neglect him. We're like, he has reactive attachment disorder. So if you break his bonds with people, he gets worse. Who do love.
0: Who do love, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. What was the reason behind that?
1: Well, that's what, that's how we do with it with the parents that have neglect. And we didn't, I said, we didn't do that. So we told them we don't want to have any restrictions. And so the, the foster mother, said that she didn't want to deal with us because, uh, she didn't want to have no restrictions. She just wanted the one phone call that she has to do. And then, you know, she get her money and whatever.
0: How much Um, money do does a, does a person in Georgia get for a foster care kid?
1: That I don't know, but I mean a thousand maybe. I mean, his, I mean, his disability is eight hundred. I think he they get the disability and then something else. I don't. I mean, I really don't know. Um, I'd be lying if I told you. Yeah. I mean, it's it's not. I mean, it's. I'll put it this way: if she can, if she can um, get him to bond and be good in a home, she deserves every penny of it. Yeah. And I'm not. I'm not. Uh, I'm not knocking her on that. I think she's doing. Uh, she's you know trying her best. But the placement was wrong, and. um and he's there right just, now? No, he's not. He's still, because it fell through. It okay. fell through. Okay. The, 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 the facility that he was at threw up a red flag. We threw up a red flag, but they were just, you know, d they felt fine with it. And then d tells us, oh, you didn't tell us about the sexualized behavior. The fact that I was like, you did, because I actually reported it to you. Um, you know, I self-reported it. And I was like, you have... You have um, documentation on it, and it's it was in the notes. But the two social workers are talking to each other, so the person that placed them didn't under didn't know that from the person that did the assessment.
0: You gotta imagine that as these children are being transferred across desks, across files, nobody's doing the thorough work needed. Well, I can't shouldn't say no. There's probably at least a few people out there that care and want to do it, but. I mean, imagine every day, all day, you're dealing with these very difficult cases, and it seems like there's not a lot of choices, right? I mean, the foster care system has been notoriously devastating on children. Uh, you know, again, I referenced a bunch of the statistics in the beginning, you know, and, it, and, and so it's, it's really about where there's space is what it sounds like.
1: Yeah. Um... Uh, i don 't think they did their due diligence with Caden to put to put him where he needed to be, and uh most parents that deal with defects don 't have a leg to stand on uh, i 'm a rarity I have a leg to, i have two legs to stand on, and if you haven't noticed i 'm not afraid to speak up
0: no, no that's uh, right I love it no yeah, uh, thank you for being having the courage to call out a broken system, and that 's what we 're dealing with we're not. Yeah. it's not just. it's not just within you know all over the place it's 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 really a part of any massive bureaucracy they're just it becomes just uh like a quagmire of 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 apathy because Mm -hmm. there's just so much so many cases with so little funding and so little opportunity right and i think what happens is anybody becomes demoralized over a long period of time i.e children or adults what do we do? We, we lose that, that deeper rooted emotional connection to the fact that these are children.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, then it's not their fault. Right. Um, and so, you know, I'm willing to do, I, I, when he went into temporary custody with defects, I couldn't sleep at night. I had nightmares. I had this, this same recurring dream, uh, over and over again. It was, you know, I did well in college. Um, but I had this dream. I called it a nightmare. Most people might not, me um, being the nerd I am, um, uh, that I, I had two two classes that I needed to, to graduate. And uh, uh, it was like some silly classes, like a Spanish class and uh, some sociology class. And, I, and I, I would never show up to the class. And uh, and so I would fail. And I would constantly just fail it. And I'd never get my, my degree. Wow. And, it, you know, I took that as, you know, I, I really wasn't showing up. Uh, I wasn't doing everything I possibly could uh, for for Caden, and uh, so that's when I really dug deep and and, and started to fight. Um, I spun up a website. Um, I spun up a GoFundMe page. Uh, really uh, trying to see if I can raise the funds to. Let's to, talk to about
0: the funds. Let's talk about how expensive. What What do you need to do to get Caden back? To your house what is the sequence of events in your mind and your wife's mind that he needs to go through in order to get him at the highest possible you know um, advancements in in his emotional state as cognitive states to where he can reintegrate back into your home
1: i have to um the easiest route is to get your insurance to, to pay for it right and so that's the route that, I, I took um and I, we moved m- mountains my insurance company was like yeah we'll help all we need is your clinical records right and we 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 contacted Dfax and said miracle's been answered we probably don't even need that for him to have custody or you guys have custody we can take custody back we just need you to release the records to Villa Santa Maria so that our insurance can pay for it and they said no
0: Defact said no.
1: Yeah, because are you kidding gonna... me? No, no, I'm not kidding you. Uh, and uh, they said uh, we've already the um, long-term residential care treatment said that he needs to go into foster care, and uh, we think that he needs to go into foster care. And despite you being his parents, we're not going to go with your wishes. Even though the only reason that you called us was because it was a financial issue of being able to to take care of him i would say but we've cleared that issue and they're like it doesn't matter we have custody of him now we're not going to release the records go pound sand
0: i mean you literally had the solution yes they were going to fund his treatment at this one-of-a-kind facility that handles rad yeah they said no to you
1: yes just,
0: just to release records just to be able to file some paperwork to send it up to the courts have a judge put the little rubber stamp on it give them those records you submit them and the next thing in six months cadence at this facility they would That's not right. do that
1: no what
0: the hell's going on what is why why do you think what what is happening to the point where someone in Defacts is not is is being like this is uh, this i I don't want who cares about this kid or i don't give a damn what this is all bull anyways what what's what in your impression is going on
1: they only go off of what is the law the letter of the law and what happens so we gave up temporary custody of him and they had custody and at that point what we say doesn't matter at all and they go on the recommendation of the treatment facility. The recommendation of the treatment facility was to put him in foster care. And despite us moving mountains and, and, and opening a door for him and saying that, hey, we could, we could do this, they told us no. They, now, they, wouldn't, wouldn't, even, they wouldn't even entertain the, the possibility, not even that it was going to happen. They wouldn't even entertain the possibility.
0: They wouldn't even discuss it with you. And no. and did you try and bring it up? Do You continuously try and bring it up. Did you bring it up again today in your conversation? Do you? Is you just? Are you sending letters to your congressman? Are you sending letters to the head of DFAC, Whoever the 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 director of of DFAC's Georgia is? Is I mean is can you do all that?
1: Well, we have an attorney and we brought it up with their attorney. Attorneys talking to the, the D attorneys. Uh but I, I do have to say with you with you with our insurance provider, they they agreed to to do like a couple of months. So it's a twenty four month um program. Right. They agreed to do a couple of months and they only um you know, they then they do assessment and then they determine. So they never do the whole full amount. Yeah, that's so.
0: fair though. I mean, that's fair. A, I, you yeah, know, get right? him in the door,
1: right? Yeah, yeah, get him
0: in the door. If because I mean, what's he going to do? Go back to Fosser? What, what's the? I mean, he he needs specific help, right, Caden right. needs Very yeah. specific help for what he's battling right now. Right, and um,
1: we we met the CEO of uh, the facility in New Mexico. We you, we were on the same page with them. First time we've ever been on the same page with a facility. Uh, he, kn- he knows rad kids. He knows what, how they act. He knows what they go through. We have to, we have to educate the facilities on what's happening. I'm like, no, he's just, he's manipulating you right now, you know, and he, you know, we didn't have to tell him. He was, he was trying to tell us. and I was like, oh no, we, we know, we know what's going on. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, uh, we got the Heisman. I mean, we got, we got completely shut out. And, um, you know, right now, Um, the only way that we're gonna we we can get him in that facility is if we go back we we have a hearing and we have to prove that we're good parents even though there was no neglect yeah
0: right it's insanity
1: and that we can pay for him to go to to this facility. facility yeah
0: is there is is and that's the only way they've said you can get this child back now yeah so what, what are their benchmarks? You know, what, what is their plan for Caden? What is Caden's mental health plan through DFACS?
1: They're, they're going to take him to a therapeutic foster home. I don't know what that therapeutic means. Uh, he, he doesn't have any like locks or um, safety measures, it's just a normal house. Um, and then he's going to plan on, on, using the skills that he learned in the residential treatment facility he did learn skills at the residential treatment facility and he does need to practice them in a home setting so um i'm okay with um not happy but i'm okay to try it Um, but what i did ask them was if it doesn't work can we go ahead and start the process of getting him placement in the Villa Santa Maria because if it doesn't work, it's going to happen overnight and they're going to need a place to put him. And then if we start that process, boom, he's already in another place. Yeah. Right. They've already, they've already made that. He has to be somewhere, you know, they're going to make that decision in a day. Nope. They're not even going to entertain the possibility of this. And so um, that's what we're fighting right now that either I can get the funds and show that, he can be taken care of or he's going to a foster home. And if he does that, then I'm going to, I'm still going to fight for him and raise the money. Uh, and then when I, when, if he, if he, if he goes to a foster home and he does well, You're I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah okay yeah. with that. I don't, I don't base, you know, you, you, you read the statistics. They're, at at atrocious. The They're right. atrocious. They're, you
0: and, know, and I, I mean, I, I you know, my first introduction to foster care system was like, and I told you on the phone when we had a pre-call, but was back when I first, you know, started Frog Logic, and I worked with a foster care here where I live, and I had six young teenage boys uh that were all from very similar backgrounds as Caden. I mean, really similar. Some of them were born addicted. To, a couple of them were born addicted to crack, and and man it was uh my my issues that i came in i did this one month program with him i met with him twice twice a week tuesdays and thursdays i had a great month with him started seeing some little things little lights in him try to talk to him and all that and then you know i i the, the the place i worked with had no money to pay me i was struggling trying to pay my bills and and so I stopped and, and it was remarkable. I called about a, you know two, three months later and, and they had all, I had come in and they, I had raised them and then when they came back, they went below their former normal and actually crashed worse because it was this little blip of positivity, but it wasn't long-term. Yeah, And, and, and that's what people don't realize when you're dealing with post-traumatic stress you know, that in, in, in these types of issues that, you know, people struggle every day to just maintain a baseline in this chaos that is their mind. And and when that's altered in any way, man, it, you 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 know the the the, the troughs of of of, of stability you know, they reduce bound to that much. And so they're just literally going up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down. And they live in that perpetual state of, of flux.
1: Yeah. um,
0: Devastating to them.
1: They were, they really need a, um, a routine that they can depend on and dependency and a stable environment. Um, it's really, when they get dysregulated, it's, you know, all bets are off. Anything can happen.
0: Is Caden at all able to express some kind of regret or remorse, or is he able to talk to you and say, "Please let me come back home"? Is he, you know, does he say these things to you? Um,
1: you know, he he is unable to show remorse or regret when he's dysregulated, but when he becomes, when he gets back to his baseline, he, he does feel bad about, you know, what happens. Um, I think he's super nervous about coming home. Uh, he, he tells us he's nervous that he's going to hurt us. Yeah. So he's scared that he's going to do something to us. Uh, so he, he realizes that he's got a problem and that he's unable to control. Um, and in many ways, you know, um, these, kids they do better in facilities because um the 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 stimuli that dysregulates them is that parental unit and the someone trying to bond with them and love them and the, which they're like whoa what's what's going on here so uh when that is removed they're, they're able to have a better baseline uh, which uh then the insurance companies don't want to pay for them they're like oh this kid's fine all right and then they, they let them out. And then when they come home, their, their life is disrupted. Their routine is disrupted. Uh, all the triggers that weren't there previously are now right in their face. Yeah. Right. And yeah, they learn, they learn skills in, um, in a treatment facility, but Hey, you know, and I'm sure lots of viewers um, that, um, that listen to the show know, you know, if you have, you're in that fight or flight response, you're not thinking. You can't think. Your mind literally shuts down. It's, At least, the it's
0: fun part of it. Your prefrontal cortex is is basically a sent on hiatus, man, and and your yeah. limbic system is in complete control for sure. Um, man, you know, Greg, it's just, you know, I I tried, I, I, you know, every time I have a guest like you on, who who is. You know, not only in the fight, but you—you know—you're living the fight. The fight is—the fight is what your life is with Caden, right? It's Mm -hmm. always a fight, and whether you're fighting defects, you're fighting the unknowns of foster care system, the insurance issues, the your own home issues, your safety, what it does to your marriage, what it does to your own offspring, what it—you know—all of this stuff, man. And—and never, not even really knowing, is there ever a place in Caden's future? where he's going to be a well-adapted member of society, where he can fit in, where he can just have the minimal aspects of of assimilation. You know, when you look at all that stuff, you know, uh, there's a lot of people out there that would just say it's not worth it. And the question I have for you, Greg, is why are you doing this? Um, It's just near and dear
1: to my heart. And, you know, I've lived it. I've lived that. I didn't have rad, but I had the, the abuse and the, the, the trauma when, you know, when I was growing up and I know what it takes to, to overcome that. And I, I think I'm an exception rather than the rule. Um, I, you know, I wouldn't be where I'm at if that baseball coach didn't reach out to me and, and help me out. Right. Um, It's just little shifts and pushes and nudges from people that you meet that come into your life. God gives you someone that gives you just what you need. Not a lot, but just what you need at that time. And right now, Caden needs me to fight for him and he can't fight for himself. He can fight, but he can't. He doesn't. He doesn't do anything that, that really helps himself. Uh, so he needs someone in his corner. Nobody else is there for him. Um, his mom can't help him. His grandfather doesn't help him. Um, there's there's nobody. If I, if me and my wife aren't there for him, he would be lost. And there would, he would just almost disappear. I I just I'm not I'm not willing to let that happen on my watch.
0: That's, that's um that's about as noble as it gets, man. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> Where can we help and how can we help you and Caden?
1: Um, Caden has a website that's up. It's caringforcaden.com. His name is K-A-Y-D-E-N. That's caringforcaden.com. We have links where you can learn about his story, learn about reactive attachment disorder. You can learn about his facility. Uh, If you find it in your heart that um, you want to help, uh, there's a donate link there. It'll take you to a GoFundMe page. Uh, GoFundMe does not take much. All they do is take out the processing charge. They don't take any money for themselves. Uh, all the money will go to cadence medical expenses and, um, attorney's fees. Um, I'm racking up quite the attorney fee right now, uh, just battling defects. Uh, and, um, either way, um, you know, if he is not able to go to Villa Santa Maria, our my attorney is fighting for him to get the best possible solution in the in the fact system, and um, so the money will be 100% go to to his care, and it, it, his care is going to be ongoing until you know until he's 18. It's it's not going to end
0: and, no matter what happens. Non past that, I'm sure.
1: Yeah yeah. I mean, he's got a disability. He's, he's, he's got a serious disability. He's, he needs help. And, uh, you know, his, his, uh, treatment at the facility he's at right now, it's $15,000 a month. And the one that we would put him in is the same amount. Um, uh, no person, I mean, I can't afford that. I, I, I do okay for myself, but I, I just, I, no one really can, can throw down that. No. And, uh, you know, it takes a village to raise a child and, you know, uh, I'm doing everything I can to reach out. Um, god bless anyone that wants to to help him and help our family
0: and it's not just it's not just donations those, those are absolutely essential for sure for for the fight and especially the legal fight but man if you know somebody in defects if you know somebody at the state of georgia if you know uh, a state senator a state congressman hell if you know your own senator you know someone who's a involved in defects federal man don't be afraid to reach out and help greg and, and Caden, man uh mm-hmm. again i think it, in a lot of these cases sometimes it's just a phone call you know in a little push from somebody's got a little clout that can yeah. facilitate a redirect of funds towards this other facility and mm-hmm. i mean
1: that's, i no, i agree yeah someone someone called our um insurance company and, and got the redistribution of funds, but it didn't. It didn't work. Um, we're also, I'll, uh, you know, another one that that would help is um, one of my friends started um, uh, rucking for Caden, and that's on the website. You can go on and look at the the videos. Uh, I didn't know what rucking was. I'm sure you do. <laughs>
0: yeah, I do.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, so my, the layman's term of rucking is. People put these, uh, it's, it's hauling all your gear in the military, and uh, people ruck that are not in the military, uh, it's a thing here. And uh, what they do is they put on these uh, sandbags of weight uh, on their shoulders, and uh, one of my friends asked me how much Caden weighs, and he weighs 70 pounds. And so he started a Ruck for Caden uh, uh, club where men, well, women will put 70 pounds of a weight on their back and, uh, it's supposed to symbolize, uh, lifting Caden up. So, um, you know, there's many that's ways beautiful. that, that you can, uh, help him spiritually. Um, you know, um, whether you know somebody, uh, financially, uh, there's many different ways that, that you can help out Caden. Um, in you could help out a kid that's, that's not named Caden as well. Yeah. Uh, there are a lot of them out there. And, it's uh, funny. you know, if you, uh, if you want to help someone in your, in, in your community, um, I would urge everyone to learn a little bit more about reactive attachment disorder and um, and what it does to, to the children that are in the, in the foster care.
0: Well, Greg, man, I, I can't thank you enough for, for coming on and, and, and bearing your soul for us and, and telling your story and, and, and Caden's story and, and, man, uh, you know, hopefully we can get you some help and, and keep going. Uh, And, you know, if there's uh, some, anything in the future, you know, we'll get you back on and we'll talk about that next, the next phase. And just, you know, just know this, man, uh, what you're doing is, is God's work. Um, Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, it really is. You, you, I know one of the hardest things that we have to do in our life is we have to we have to try and wrap our minds around what the value of our purpose on this life is. And, and my brother, you know, he, he, you know, just coming out of what you came through, you know, being a good husband, being a good father, but this fight, I mean, you're, you're walking the walk. And, and I think, you know, just know this, it's, it's, it's admirable, it's honorable, and just really appreciate you sharing your story with us.
1: Yeah, I, I thank you for for having me. It's a great platform for for people to get the word out, and um, uh, it's uh, it's amazing to to have the opportunity. Thank you very much.
0: You're welcome.